Good afternoon. I'd like to just start off by expressing gratitude myself to each one who came out yesterday and helped out with the work day. Um, I was a little preoccupied, but um, I did see a little bit of the work done. I got the list from Mr. Carnes on all the work done, and I'm very, very grateful to each one who came out and invested yesterday in that. I'd like to also remind you of the little Bible reading survey I passed out at the beginning of Bible Hour. Um, I'm like wanting to find out um, when was the last time you read the book of Hosea, the book of Isaiah, the book of Hosea and Isaiah. And um, if you want that chalk drawing back there, be sure you put your name and write the word chalk on it, and I'll have a drawing for that, all right? So that's what this is. Just want to remind you of that. There's a plate back there where you can put those um, responses, survey responses. Take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. This afternoon, we're going to look at really a, a large passage of Scripture. Um, we're going to look at the end of chapter 11, all of chapter 12, and all of chapter 13, um, because all of the truths presented in these three chapters are intimately tied together. And um, just like you would never think of reading a novel and skipping a chapter, or reading a novel and just starting in on chapter 11 and reading and not reading chapter 12, um, we have to be careful of our chapter divisions in our Bibles. Did you know that? We have to be careful because um, the chapter divisions aren't inspired, and they're not meant as breaking points. It's all one continuous thought and theme. And um, I truly <laughs> am suspicious that the chapter division between chapter 12 and chapter 13 has caused trouble, has caused trouble for people because we've looked and read the truths of chapter 12 and then we have missed the balancing truths or the further truths of chapter 13 and they're very closely connected. So what we're going to do here this afternoon is actually just start off and read beginning in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. Really, for us to understand this, we've got to go back to chapter 1 and read all the way through. Um, but Romans chapter 11 climaxes with uh, just a declaration. Pastor Virgil spoke on uh, last week or a few weeks ago. I've kind of lost track of time this week. Um, on, on God not casting away his people. And when he gets to the conclusion of this, he just bursts forth with this benediction of praise, um, like he, he, he's, he's about to go into another topic, but he, he's just excited about what he has just been able to share, or may I put it this way, what he has just been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, and he is excited to go on to the next section. So follow with me, beginning Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. 
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, 
live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore? ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, Honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now 
it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Great God, we give thanks to you for your word. For this particular passage that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write, may we heed it. May we comprehend it. May we apply it. May we obey it. Lord, I pray that as we, just an overview, observe just some of the truths in this chapter, that your Spirit would move among us and teach us, that you would be with me in the, each word that I say. Lord, guide me as I seek to explain and apply these words. We give ourselves to you as we continue. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that some powerful preaching? I think I could sit down, it's all said. There's really not much more I can add to it. And so I'd like to just take a few moments to make some observations. Again, did you see how chapter 11 concluded? For it is of him, that is Jesus Christ, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It is the glory of God, and it is of him and through him that we live, and that we serve him. Considering that and the glory of God, Paul beseeches the believers, the brethren, to present their bodies a living sacrifice, our lives as a sacrifice to God. Verse 2, we are admonished that we be not conformed or twisted out of shape to the way that our culture or our world is, but to rather be transformed like a, like a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly by the renewing of our mind, by the Spirit of God living in us and through the Word of God, which the Spirit uses to teach us. So that we then know what is good, what is acceptable, what is the perfect will of God as we live life. He goes on then in verses 3 on down through verse 8 to describe the fact that we here, us in this room, this church, we're a body, and we're all members, in particular, 
of that body. We're all members of the body of Christ, and we have different ministries one to another. And we need to, in the power of the Spirit of God, use those ministries. And then he becomes very particular in instructing this body. In verse 9, love without dissimulation. Love that's genuine. Love that's real. Love that has no fakeness. That kind of love is the kind of love that will abhor. Abhor that which is evil. And cleave, that is hold on to, cling to. Not let go of that which is good. He goes on to say about being kindly affectioned. We need to have kindness one among each other. And this is with a brotherly love. We need to have honor one for another. We need to prefer the other over ourselves. As it says in Philippians, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's preferring others, one another. Be not slothful in business. We need to be diligent people. We need to be passionate in all that we do, fervent in spirit, for we are serving the Lord. Remember back to verse 1? We are living sacrifices serving the Lord. Look here, we are rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Just as Brother Reisinger shared this morning, some truths coming forth here, aren't there? Same parallels. And we got to continue instant in prayer. The idea there is, is always in communion with God, talking to Him. Distributing means to share and to give to those who are in need, here particularly the saints. We're not talking about people who are dead. We're talking about those who are Christians. They're the saints given to hospitality. Hospitality means loving strangers. And we need to be giving ourselves to that. But then verse 14, as it continues on down through, there's some other things here that are a little bit harder. Bless them with persecute you. Bless the persecutors? Bless the ones who are persecuting us? It says bless and curse not. You may think, well, you would think that you would curse the one who, who does you wrong, but no, bless them. Rejoice with them, but do rejoice. That's why I love going to weddings. I've never understood people who don't go to weddings. Go to weddings, rejoice. Rejoice with them to do rejoice and look for those opportunities to rejoice with them to do rejoice. Imagine if you didn't go to a wedding at Cana of Galilee a while back, you would have missed the first miracle when Jesus turned the water into wine. That's just a side note here. But rejoice with those that do rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Go to funerals. Bring your kids to funerals. We need to weep with those that weep. But not just funerals. There's a lot of other heartaches and times when we need to be broken with those who are broken. We have the same mind one toward another. There's a unity. Mind not high things. Unity will be broken down if we are thinking of ourselves as greater than we ought to think, which is also tied in with what we kind of skipped over of him that thinketh more highly than he ought to of himself, which gets in the way of the body. And here it says that we condescend to men of low estate. Sometimes when we find people who, who are either 
caught up in sin or or are in their thinking confused or troubled, we're tempted sometimes to put them down, to put them down. But this isn't saying to put them down. This is saying get down with them. And the implied goal is, but all is, that you can lift them up. Lift them up. But be not wise in your own conceits. So often we get an idea in our mind and we're convinced this is the way it is. Our wisdom needs to come from above because this kind of wisdom can be very closely troubled in with James chapter 4. We don't have time to go there this morning, but write it down beside here, James chapter 4. And then verses 17 through 21 is a very profound truth for it deals with those who have been wronged. Those who have been wronged. And it's basically that when you have been wronged, you do not return evil for evil, just as you do not return for cursing for cursing, but contrarize blessing. Here, here it is, very important. If you look as it's all summed up, you see it's an admonition to live peaceably with all men and as much as lieth in you. And let me tell you, if you have the Spirit of God this morning indwelling you, then you've got an awful lot living within you. And one of his fruits that he'll bring forth in you is peace. And so as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And then you notice how he throws in that, that address, that address to the people, verse 19. Dearly beloved, because if you were one of those here in Rome hearing this letter be read, or you're here this afternoon hearing this letter be read, and you're hearing this admonition, you may be tempted to say, but preacher, you don't know how wrong I've been wronged and how hard it is. I don't feel loved at all. Be known this morning or this afternoon that you are dearly beloved. You're dearly beloved by God, your heavenly Father. And he knows what you're going through is hard, and he's now going to give you some instructions that's going to be hard to bear. Avenge not yourselves. Revenge is not the answer. Do not avenge yourself. You may be full of wrath. You may be full of anger. And it says, God says, dearly beloved, give place unto wrath. Well, what's that mean? It means that put the wrath where it belongs. And he's going to give you two places where that wrath belongs. The first one is ultimate, ultimate. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God is righteous and he is the righteous judge and he is the one who will bring vengeance against that which is evil. So when we are built up with wrath or anger, We put it in its right place, and that is we give it to God. Now, just to jump ahead here, because I don't want you to miss the context, look with me over at chapter 13 and verse 4, because there's someone else we give place to wrath. 
That is the minister of God. That is the higher powers. That is civil government. Verse chapter 13, verse 4 says, For he, that is the higher powers, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. When you have been wronged, you avenge not yourself, but you give place to wrath, meaning that you give the wrath and the vengeance to God. And here it is given to the ministers of God, human beings, those in civil government, judges, law enforcement. They have the responsibility to state here, notice end of verse 4 of chapter 13, they are a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. We give place to wrath. That doesn't mean that we obstruct justice. Rather, we give it over to God and to the ministers of God, the civil government. It is their matter to take this. It is ours to not avenge, and it is not ours to have wrath. We give it to God. Then it deals with what our we can do. When we give this over to God, knowing that he will bring justice and that his ministers, civil government, will give justice, then we can feed our hungry enemies, give drink to our thirsty enemies, and look what it says, for in, in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, different people have understood that in different ways. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I believe it means. You might think of a vivid picture of someone who is having hot coals dumped on his head, and you might think, that's not very nice. It's like I thought I was supposed to love him. I was feed him and give him to drink when he's thirsty. So that doesn't sound like keeping coals of fire on his head. Well, there's so many times in life paradoxes. And very often, when we do that which is right, it actually has a greater impact on that person than if we did that which was wrong. And here, what's the ultimate result here is there's going to be conviction. This person is going to notice, this person is going to be impacted by your response. And then verse 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember, he said, dearly beloved. I told you this was going to be hard to bear, didn't I? Don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. Give it to God. Give it to the ministers of God's civil government. And you focus on overcoming evil with good. Oftentimes, though, I'll tell you, it seems that people don't get past chapter 12. And when someone has been wronged, they just end with chapter 12 and say, well, just give it to God. God will be the ultimate judge. And that is true. But we cannot forget that every soul needs to be subject to the higher powers. 
We find out from context that these higher powers are civil authorities, civil governments, law enforcement, the judicial system of the land. For these have their power of God. Jesus referred to judges, quoting the Old Testament as gods. When judges were appointed in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word to describe the judges was the Hebrew word Elohim, which is the same exact word most commonly translated in your Bible as God. And the reason is, is because the judges are the, the ministers of God to execute wrath upon evildoers. They are the extension of His authority. They hold in their hands the power over life and death, over freedom and loss of freedom. They hold it in their hands as extensions of God's authority and power. So much so that God even used the word God to describe them. Incredible authority. They're ordained to have it. And that's the reason why it's so dangerous. I shouldn't use the word dangerous. Um, don't, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. They, are, they that resist receive to themselves damnation. Civil authority that is doing their job of executing Judgment and righteous judgment and rewarding that which is good. Oh, resist not such governments. That's their authority. That's their structure. And to recognize that they are a terror. They're not a terror to good works, but they are a terror to those who do evil. And so we are supposed to be afraid of them. But this motivates us, as you notice here, do that which is good and thou shalt have the praise of the same. You might say, not always. I know some pretty corrupt governments. So do I. And in that case, you fall back on the first authority to whom you give place to wrath. That's God. The one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. For he is the minister of God, these higher powers, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. You could substitute the word sword there as the sidearm. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You see, it's not our position as individuals, to execute or to have vengeance. And I need to make another very important note here. Neither is it the job of the church. The church does not execute wrath upon evildoers. When a matter is criminal and a matter is evil, the church has the jurisdiction and responsibility and distinction from civil government and must take the matters and refer them to the civil authorities. It is not our place to matter and to resolve such 
things. Very important. It is a matter of these ministers of God. They are appointed for this. And in establishing, notice how it began in chapter 13, verse 1, and notice how now in verse 15 it comes back to it. It began by saying, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And now, after explaining these higher powers and their importance in society, wherefore means considering what I've just all shared with you, you must needs be subject. Again, not only for wrath. That's very interesting how this, this idea of wrath, we give place to wrath. They're the ones executing wrath. And even now we're submitting I believe here this is an issue of, of twofold. One, it is of recognizing that it's their responsibility to execute wrath. And if you happen to be one who has done evil, that you submit to the wrath. And before we do this, for conscience sake, conscience, that which is placed within us, knowing what is right and wrong, not by society's standards, but by God's standards, we submit. It goes on then in saying we need to support these ministers of God. That's why we pay taxes. In supporting what they are doing and what their actions are. And so it's very important when we consider that we've been wronged. Again, we avenge not ourselves. We give place to wrath. One, we give it to God, whose vengeance he said is mine, I will repay and we deliver it over to the higher powers that be, the ministers of God, the civil government, to execute the wrath. And if it so happens that the wrath falls upon us for wrongdoing, we submit ourselves to it. He comes back now to more personal matters. Dealing, continuing along this theme, though, he, he deals with love. He says, owe no man anything but to love one another. Other scriptures tie into this and being free men. If you can be free, Paul says, use it rather and be free. One of the whole purposes of being free as Christians is so that we can love others. Do you know that? We want to be free from debts for the borrower's servant to the lender so that we have freedom to share what we have with others in love. And whatever we may owe, we need to seek to be free and not go into anything that would put us into servitude because we have a service to each other in love. And it tells us here, for he that loveth hath fulfilled the law. And then in verse 9, he comes through some of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's a lot of commandments that may come, and civil government may give. These here are the basics. But there's others. And may they be comprehended in this saying, namely, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now let me tell you something. We have an adversary, we have an enemy, the devil. He is a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you want to know one of the number one concepts he has devoured? Love. 
A lot of things have been called love that aren't love. Verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. True love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Anything that's wrong, mistreating, unkind, anything that would make you ill, love doesn't work this to his neighbor. Therefore, love, true love, is the fulfilling of the law. And now all of this is given. See, verse 12 began, or chapter 12, verse 1 began, of us being beseeched, begged, to present ourselves a living sacrifice unto God, having our minds renewed. We have some things we need to understand and apply and obey in this chapter that are going to be hard to do without having our minds renewed. And so our minds need to be renewed to, accommodate, to, to obey, really, these things. But you know another thing that our adversary often does is he lulls us to sleep. Now, I know some of you are having a hard time staying awake. It's because you had a good lunch. You probably had a busy week. If I were sitting out there, I'd be asleep right now. I know it. I don't mean he lulls us to sleep in the sense of we've been exhausted and we're falling asleep. We're lulled to sleep in being dull to truth and taking action to obey the truth. And that knowing the time is now. It's the high time to awake out of sleep. The idea here is of a vigilance, being on guard. The one who is the watchman, who is supposed to be on guard, staying awake and watching till the day come. Sleep not. Awake out of sleep. It's high time to awake. And here is this, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. What's that saying? Well, you, if you know your Bibles, you know that he that believeth on the Son hath life, and he that believeth not on the Son of God hath not life. So when you believe on the Son, you have life. You have, you're saved. That's not what salvation is being described here. This salvation is the salvation of our physical bodies. Because when you believe on Jesus Christ, you receive salvation and you are saved forever. But yet there's still trials, there's still problems, there's still persecutions, there are still crimes committed against you. There are still so much pain. No, wake up and no, don't realize this truth. Salvation from all this is nearer than when we believed. You might say that's not very encouraging, but it is. I mean, just think about it. Every moment that passes, we're one moment closer to the deliverance of this wicked, evil world. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Recognizing this truth, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. The works of darkness. The works that people do in the dark so that no one knows about it. The works that are done in darkness 
because it's a shame to even speak of those things. The works that are of darkness are those that are evil before God. From the little things to the big things. Cast them off. Get rid of them. Don't have anything to do with the works of darkness. Instead, well, actually not instead. We, we all have works of darkness that we need to cast off. Besetting sins. Put them off. It's so important that we not rationalize even the little ones. Because you know what happens when we rationalize the little ones? We start rationalizing bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. Oh, we cast off even the little ones. Gone. And then we put on, what's it say? The armor of light. We're in a war. And we need to go forth in the battle with the armor of light. Does this remind you of Ephesians chapter 6? Where there Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, whereby ye may be able to stand on guard against the wiles of the devil because he's a tricky, sneaky, deceitful, evil one. And he so often recruits us to do the same. So let us cast off the unfruitful works of darkness and let us put on the armor of God, the armor of light. Let the works of darkness be exposed for what they are and march forth fighting in the light. And when you have the armor of light, look what it says in verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Let us live our lives and every action that we do as if it were before the sun. In truth and in honesty, in the light. Let's not hide in the darkness. Scripture says men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Let's not love darkness or have anything to do with the deeds of evil that hide in the dark. Let us in the armor of light walk honestly in truth, that is, as in the day. He gives some illustrations of those who don't. Rioting and drunkenness and then chambering, that's immorality, wantonness, all sorts of evilness, anything that is wanting, goodness and right. Wanting is the, carries a little bit of the idea of wanting something or needing something, but where there's a problem, where there's a problem, if there's something that's a problem, don't, don't walk that way, and, and don't walk in strife. That's fighting, the contentions between people. Don't, don't walk in that, and don't walk in envying. That is wanting what others have, or worse, despising them for what they have and you don't have. No, no. What do you do instead? We were supposed to put off the works of darkness, 
Put on the armor of light going forth in war. Do you know what the armor of light is? Let me rephrase that question. Do you know who the armor of light is? Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we learned about that vine. Are you in the vine? Is Christ in you? Put him on. Wear him. You know what that's describing? Everything that you do, just imagine, I'm, I'm wearing these clothes, and everywhere I go, and every time I move my hands and all, the clothes are doing that, right? Now imagine if we had that perspective and reality of the presence of God in our lives, the presence of our Savior in everything that we do would be as real to us as the clothes that we wear. That's what it should be. There's the positive. Put on, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. You know, our flesh have a lot of desires and lusts, don't they? That we ought not to fulfill. For it says here, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. No, when we begin through our day, we take actions that we, we avoid certain things. We don't even go near certain things. Tempted to get very explicit and, and specific on some things that we need to be aware of making provision for. Don't make provision for the flesh to feed those lustful desires that will result in you doing the works of darkness. Don't make any provision for it. Don't allow for it. Don't, don't, don't make it so it's impossible for you. But don't forget the first part. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, turn back with me to chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. What we have just heard and read in these two chapters is an overwhelming flow of the wisdom of God. Dearly beloved, heed it. Apply it, obey. It. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, and yet he reveals them to us. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? And he's revealed us, and he is our counselor. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. We can trust him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And all God's people said, Our great God indeed may be to you all glory, all honor, all majesty. May we this day humble ourselves under your mighty hand 
that you may lift us up. May this day each one of us live for your glory. May each one of us give our bodies a living sacrifice to you. Oh God, our minds need to be renewed. Our minds need renewed so desperately. So Spirit of God, do just that through your word. May we continue in your word passages such as this that we may know your ways, your truth, for your wisdom is unsearchable, but yet you've revealed it to us. May we not neglect it in our lives, but look to you and find the comfort, find the instruction, find the wisdom that we need day by day. And may we put off the works of darkness Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Lord Jesus, be our armor of light. And you are the light of the world. And so as we go forth in this day and in this week, in war against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness and high places, may we be armed with you, Jesus. You be our armor. You be our victory. You be the one who wars for us. And may each moment of every day, may we realize and know the truth and the reality that it is of you, through you, and to you, and to you be all the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.